have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, do not consider what I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemy of the cross of, cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm. Thus in the Lord, my beloved. Come on somebody let me pray for us father we come to you in the name of jesus we thank you lord that you are god that you are our lord you are our savior lord father we thank you lord that we are not people uh, that really just go on and with our lives uh, without truly having someone to really guide us and help us and really just carry us through I pray, Lord God, that we as your people, Lord Father, will continue to rely on you. And today, Lord, as you listen to your message, as you listen for your voice, may you speak to us ever so clearly, God. Father, we want to hear from you. So, Lord, may your word penetrate each and every one of our hearts today. Give us eyes to see, hearts to receive, and, and really just minds to conceive everything that you have for us today. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Lord, may you speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, with that being said, um, I want to ask you guys a question. Do you guys know, or can, can you give me an example of what self-pity looks like? Um, I know it's a, it's, a, it's a weird question to kind of start off with for this message, especially with the passage we read. But I want to ask you this. What does self-pity look like to you? You know, a lot of times in church, I don't think we talk about this as much as we should. Um, I, I realized something about self-pity. I realized a lot of times um, people get self-evaluation mixed up with self-pity. What do I mean by that? A lot of times what people do is when they examine their lives, they get to a place where they're like, oh my gosh, my life sucks. You know what I mean? Uh, when they examine their life, they're like, man, my life does not look like that other person's life. I don't know about you, man, but we always talk about this, right? I feel like pastors love to talk about this. Social media, you know, when you're looking at social media and you know your life is not going well and you look at these beautiful people, you know, on the beach with perfect bodies and, 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 and chiseled jawlines and, and, and they're like, you know, living the life and you're, here you are with the gut hanging out of your stomach you know, eating a bag of potato chips, laying on your bed, you're going, what the heck am I doing with my life? You know what I mean? There's a moment where you're like self-examining, like, oh, like, oh, what, what, what's my life? You know what I mean? But let me tell you right now, a lot of times what we do as just people is we get self-evaluation mixed up with self-pity. 
What you are doing in that moment is not self-evaluation. What you are doing in that moment is actually having self-pity, right? Another example I could give, I'll bring it down to sixth graders, right? Let's say you want to hang out with a friend and you're like, yo, let's go hang out. Let's play something, you know, like, you know, and then all of a sudden that friend's like, you know, I don't want to play with you. I'm going to play with someone else, right? And then you get all like, what the heck? You get, yeah, ouch, that hurts, you know what I mean? But you get all mopey and you're like, you know what, then? I don't want to play anything then. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to just play, period. You know what I mean? I, I, I just read a book. I don't know what they were thinking when they're writing this children's book. There's a children's book that, that, uh, that I just read for my little baby, right? I, I know he can't understand English right now. He only speaks baby, but, but I want him to understand English. So I've been reading him uh, uh, books. And one of the books is um, Kindergarten, Here I Come. The title is called Kindergarten, Here I Come. And it's so cute. It's like the cutest book. Like, like, it's like, you know, from the beginning of the day where the kid is getting ready for kindergarten and, and he like describes it and stuff. Super cute. But this is one section where it talks about best friends. And it's so funny because this kid, he goes to uh, this girl named Heather or something and she's supposedly his best friend. And then she doesn't want to play with him because she wants to play with someone else. So he says, you know what? Forget you then. And he goes to a different person and says, hey, could you be my best friend? And then that person's like, yeah, I'll be your best friend. And they play for a little bit. And that best friend says, I don't want to be your best friend anymore. I'm going to be that guy's best friend. And they just, he just keeps jumping up and down, like going back and forth from best friend to best friend. And then at the end, what happens is he comes back to Heather. And Heather's, again, his best friend. And I was like super confused as I'm reading this to Roman, my little four-month-old baby. I'm like, I hope this never happens to you. You know what I mean? Like, I hope this is not you, man. I hope you're faithful enough to stick with one best friend. But as I was reading that, I got this image of such self-pity. This kid, every time someone said, I don't want to be best friend, he's like, forget you then. You know what I mean? Like, forget you then. I'm going to go get another best friend. You know, like, literally every single time, he's like, forget you then. I'm going to get another, another best friend. And I realized that that self-pity was so real, even in the life of a kindergartner. Why am I saying this? I realized this. Um, as I was preparing for today's message, I realized that in this time, in this age, right now, with so much going on, it is so easy for a believer to fall into self-pity. And, and, and hear me out. Um, I realized something about services right now. Um, if I'm to be honest, I hear from different pastors all over that their attendance for their Sunday services has drastically went down during COVID. Drastically. There's some churches where they only get about 30%, 20% of their actual Sunday service attendees attend their Sunday service. And then there are those right now, uh, pastors who I speak to, who tell me that people have been going to, uh, not coming to their church service and going to Transformation Church. So, uh, Mike Todd is the man, you know what I mean? If I could, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be in Mike, Mike Todd's service too, you know what I mean? And Elevation Church and Hillsong, you know? And, like, they're so accessible. You could just, you know, Jesus Culture, Bethel, and all these things. You could do, all, you could go to all these different services, right? 
And, and, and there's this weird thing going on where a lot of churches right now are seeing a decline of attendees. And then there's, a, there's another side where people are just stopped going to church, period. And, and, and it breaks my heart. And I was praying and I was wrestling with the Lord. I was like, Lord, what is it that you've, what is it that is causing this? And I would think like, man, it's discomfort. It's weird to go on, to go online. You know, it's weird to uh, do this. It's new. It's awkward. It's, and I started praying and praying and I realized this is none of those is actually self-pity. And let me explain this. I realized that self-pity works like this. If I can't get what I want exactly how I want it, then I don't want it. If I can't get what I desire exactly how I imagine it to get or obtain, then I don't want it. And I realized that self-pity is a dangerous, dangerous thing in this season that has been crippling a lot of believers. That's why we want to tackle that today. With that being said, we, we're going to go straight into the, into the word of God. It says, in, in the beginning of what we read, it says, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made it his own. Brothers, I do not consider what I have made in it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards a goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Um, you know, something about Paul, right? Apostle Paul, I, I honor and respect him so much, not because my, I have the same name as him, not because we're both Pauls, and I'm like, yeah, go Paul, you know what I mean? But because when I read Apostle Paul, this guy, he is a G. You're going to hear me say this about a lot of people in the Bible, but this guy, he's a G, like he's a gangster right here. Why? Because this comes right after he talks about how he's content in every situation. Right. He talks about how he was brought high and brought low. And he talks about how he's the Pharisees of all Pharisees. He talks about how he knows the Bible so well, uh, how he's trained in the Bible. You know, how he, he's always trying to obey God. And he talks about all these things. And then how he was brought low, where he lost everything, where he got literally persecuted, all these things. He talks about all those things. And then at the end, he talks about this. He says, you know what? Even with all that happened in my life, I press on to continue to make it my own. Not because of me, but because of Christ that has made me his own. Now, the first thing we need to understand about this is that Paul had every right to have self-pity. This man had every right. If I was Paul, I would have been like, yo, I'm, I'm done with this crap, dude. <laughs> like, it's just too hard. This is, this is too hard. You know what I mean? Like, like, it's uncomfortable. You know, think about it. Think about this conversation he's having. Imagine you, right? Imagine this. I'm going to try to bring it down to uh, our, 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 like, our lives right now. Imagine you're a millionaire, right? Imagine you have, you're a CEO of a great company, right? And you're doing well. You're, you're doing amazing. You're, you're, every year you're getting all this money. You're, every year you're getting a new car, you know? Every year you're buying a new house, you know? You're doing really well. And all of a sudden you meet God and you get this compelling conviction to just let it all go and go on the streets and evangelize, right? 
you go to New York, you go to, you know, Wisconsin or Minnesota or whatever, and you go across the, you know, all these things. But in the way that you're doing this, after you give up all this comfort, every single time you try to go somewhere, something happens to you where someone tries to kill you with stones, <laughs> where you're, you're, you're on a plane or something, you're going, you get a plane crash or something. You know, imagine every single time, like something bad happens. And then after you actually instill churches, all of a sudden you hear multiple times that the churches that you instilled are starting to turn away from God. After you, you sacrifice all that time, all that effort, all that comfort of your life, all of a sudden you, you hear that these churches are, you know, doing false teachings, that these people are turning away from the Lord, that they're selfish, they're doing this. Imagine that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I would literally be livid. I'll be so mad. I'll be like, God, I can't. I'll like literally flip tables, right? I will literally be so mad. This guy had every right to have self-pity. But the first thing he does is this. He recognizes that his life and his goals and his accomplishments are not his own but it is in Christ Jesus. The first things you need to know about self-pity is that it is self-pity because you make it about yourself. Self-pity is all about you. The, the, and let me tell you, the answer to getting out of self-pity is multiple things. The first, the first and main thing that you need to recognize is in order to escape self-pity, you need to become completely selfless and surrendered to Jesus. You know, I don't know about you, but even as a pastor, I find myself in self-pity. Even as a just a believer, I find myself in self-pity all the time. I justify myself. I say, did I not give enough? Did I not do enough? How come it's not going this way? Why is this not fair? But I realized this when I first stepped into this and I recognized this very moment. It's the moments where I say, Jesus, you're enough. Jesus, you're my everything. Jesus, I will do anything for you. That I exit and run from self-pity. Number two, it goes like this. It says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal, God will, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Another thing about self-pity is this. You got to recognize what you have. Right? Um, one thing about like, a, I think I was just kind of thinking about this, right? And I realized a lot of times self-pity is, is kind of funny, right? Um, I was thinking about different events of self-pity. Like, what, what, can be a, what can be an example of self-pity? And I, I don't know if it's because I've been reading just children's book like every day um, for the last four months to this baby who doesn't understand, but hopefully he will understand very soon, right? Um, uh, I don't know what it is, but I keep going back to little kids. Imagine this, this kid, he's playing this toy and his friend comes and says, hey, I want to play with that toy. You know what I mean? And there's all these other toys around, so many great toys around. 
And that kid goes and says, I want to play with that toy, that exact toy that you are playing with, I want to play with. And then the kid goes, no, I'm not going to share this toy with you because I'm playing with this. You know what I mean? Like, there's this weird interaction that little kids do all the time. Like, but I want to play with that toy, right? They already set their mind on that toy. And they get into this huge argument. And what happens is, eventually, is both the kids either cry and end up not playing with the toy, right? Either one of them. Or one of them would just soak and just cry and mope and waste their recess until the recess is over. Why, why am I saying this? Because I realize this, this, this image is a lot like Christians these days. I know it sounds foolish, but I realize that a lot of times Christians are uh, fall into self-pity because they forget how much they've already attained in Jesus Christ, right? That they already have so much things around them that they could be thankful for. They, have, they already have so many things that they have around them that they could rejoice in, but they're so concentrated on what others have that they can't see what they have. And I realized that is another way that self-pity enters the heart of a believer. A lot of times what happens is believers get into a place where they start seeing things in other believers or even non-believers that they desire more than what God has given them in their own individual lives. Come on, somebody. If that is not real for each and every one of us, I don't know what is because that is the truth. And a lot of times what happens is that in itself leads to self-pity. And we miss out on what God is doing in our own individual lives. This is is the thing about Paul. When he writes, only let us hold true to what we have attained. He is literally saying, I don't care how high I've been. I don't care how low I've been. I don't even care how you've been. I don't care how low you've been. But I care about what Christ has given me through my experience with him. Let me tell you right now, there is an attainable grace and mercy and joy in your life right now that you got to grab in you right now that you're missing out because you're so busy and busy looking at everyone else and you you're you're already in self-pity and you don't even know it some of you guys have been living in self-pity for a long time and you had no idea can i tell you every single time that you thought that person has more than you have you were in self-pity. Every single time that you thought that person was greater than you, guess what? You were in self-pity. Every single time that you, that person had a greater promise than the promise that you have with God, you are in self-pity because there's something attainable to you right now that you need to grasp right at this very moment in order for you to see that God is what we attained. Let us hold true to to what we have attained. And then we go on. It says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk, walk according to example in, uh, you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, not tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. This right here is where we come back to the gospel. It says, and then in verse 19, it says, their end is destruction. 
Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This right here is where we come to the gospel. I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, this is supposed to be a series that we're doing right now. <laughs> I feel like we haven't really addressed it every week, but this is a series on the gospel, right? And, and, and I was like, dang, this is a series, you know what I mean? And I was like, oh, shoot. You know, I, I, just, I just remembered. I was like, oh, shoot, yeah, it's, it's about the gospel, you know? I think it's because Pastor Eleanor and I, we just naturally just preach the gospel no matter what. So um, it just became like just, you know, part of it. But, but this series is about the gospel. And I, I was like, dang, dude, like, this is so crazy because I realized I want to share a distinction of the world and Christ followers when it comes to self-pity. You know, a lot of times what happens is, it says in verse 19, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory and their shame with the mindset on earthly things. When it says their God is their belly, it's talking about their self-desire to, um, what do you call that? Um, satisfy themselves. Being satisfied in themselves. And I realize the root of self-pity is self-satisfaction. And, and can I tell you right now that as believers, our satisfaction is not in ourselves. Our satisfaction is in Christ Jesus. I'm sorry to say, if you think that you will find satisfaction by bettering yourself, that you will never taste true satisfaction. Because these people right here that they're describing, people who are not in Christ Jesus, they set their, uh, uh, their gods in their belly, their glory and their shame with mindset on earthly things. Let me tell you right now, that's the distinction between men and, and women who are in the Lord Jesus and those who are in the earth is that their satisfaction is limited to their bellies. Our satisfaction is abounding in Jesus Christ. Um, can I say this right now? Do not have self-pity over worldly things because it, 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 it is nothing compared to what you could have in Jesus Christ. Right? Do not have self-pity in worldly things because Jesus Christ is our treasure. He is our victory. And it, we are so limited in understanding if we are to do that. And, and when Paul comes and, and, and he's at this place, I realize something. If we have self-pity, we'll be like Jonah. I don't know if you guys know the story of Jonah, right? Jonah is this prophet that the Lord wanted to lead to Nineveh. And there's this funny story um, in the book of Jonah where, where Jonah is like uh, having this moment with, with the Lord. It's super funny. Um, he's like soaking. He's like, God, I don't want to go to Nineveh. Like this guy's like angry. Like Nineveh sucks. Like I hope they die. You know, literally he's just like, no, just, just destroy Nineveh. You know, like he's like soaking. And then all of a sudden he's in the sun. So God... This guy, is, God is a clever man, right? He's, he's, 
he's the Lord, you know what I mean? He gets like this little plant that shades over uh, uh, Jonah. And Jonah's like, oh, okay, I'm in the shade. And then all of a sudden, the Lord brings a warm and makes the plant die. And then Jonah goes, just kill me already. You know what I mean? Like, like, just kill me already. It's so hot. Like, what the heck? Luke, just like the leaves, just kill me. You know what I mean? Like, he's just like, oh. And then all of a sudden, the Lord uh, uh, confronts Jonah. And as Jonah repents, all of a sudden, the, the plant comes back and covers him again. You know what I mean? That's the greatest example of Christian self-pity in the Bible. This guy, this guy, like, he's lucky he didn't get struck by the Lord right there. You know what I mean? Like, this guy has the audacity to say, Lord, just, just kill Nineveh. And then when the Lord gives him shade, he says, ah, oh, yes, thank you, Lord. And then when the freaking shade gets destroyed, he's like, just kill me already. And then when the shade comes, he's like, oh, Lord, I thank you, Lord. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, what? This is so crazy. This is self-pity in itself. And I realized this, the distinction between this moment and this, what we're talking about right now is this. I realized self-pity leads to gospel, like, stoppage. It stops gospel progression. I realized that self-pity can stop the work of God in your life. Self-pity could go against the will of God to use you to proclaim the gospel to those who need to hear it. Why? Because you're so consumed with yourself. Jonah in that moment was not thinking about the people of Nineveh. He was thinking about himself and how angry he was at the people of Nineveh. He was not thinking about the people of Nineveh. He was thinking about how hot he was. He was thinking about how unfair it was. It was. He was thinking about how he didn't want to do it. But let me tell you right now, self-pity can stunt you from God using you for your specific calling in your life right now. But what's crazy about this passage right here is that Paul, he says this, he, this guy has every right to be angry. This guy has every right because he actually tried. He actually did everything he can. He actually got shipwrecked. He actually got stoned. He actually got literally uh, ridiculed and mocked. And he did all these things. But guess what? He says this. It says in verse 18, for many of you whom I have often told you, this is him literally saying, I've told you multiple times. And not tell them, even with tears, walk as enemy of the cross. Let me tell you, this guy right here realized something. That he's not called to have self-pity. He's called to be selfless. In the sense where he's not just relying on, on God and Jesus to find that rest. But also to be called to those who may even reject him by being selfless. Let me tell you right now, self-pity is the enemy of gospel progression. Because once you have self-pity, you will not be able to see in the light of grace of Jesus Christ to reach out your hands to those in this world that need it most. Because when you see people living in comfort, you're going to think, man, I want that. Not they need what I have. You're not going to think, man, they need Jesus. You're going to think, I need, I, have, I need what they have. You need to understand this right now. That self-pity is dangerous. Not just for you, 
but for the gospel. Self-pity is what comes in your mind when you have been serving for years and years and you say, man, when is enough enough? Self-pity is what comes in your mind when COVID hits and you say, man, I'm too lazy to get on a Zoom call. Self-pity is what comes in your mind when you say, man, is this really worth it? Is Jesus really worth it? Let me tell you right now, every single one of those moments is because you're having self-pity. Let me tell you, there's no room for self-pity. And we see this in the example of Jesus Christ himself. If there's a man in the history of mankind that should be able to have self-pity, that is Jesus Christ himself. Why? He did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. He had zero sin. All he did from the beginning of his ministry to the very end was love the people that rejected him. This guy was the most selfless man in this whole entire world. If there was one person who deserved to have self-pity, it was Jesus himself. And I think about the, the, the moment where he's in the garden with, with, with God and he's sweating blood. And he says to the Lord, if it is your, may you take this cup from me, but if it is your will, let it be done. Let me tell you right now, that is the very moment where self-pity could, could have come over. But even in that prayer, even in that moment, It was such a selfless act. Jesus could have said, God, Father, these people don't deserve it. <laughs> Imagine if he said that. Like, uh, he could have even said, man, they mocked me. They're trying to kill me here. All I did was show love. All I did was this. All I did was that. They're trying to they're trying to put me on the cross, God. He could have easily been like Jonah and said, man, these people are wicked. But you know what he said? He said, may your will be done. And then there's another beautiful thing that we could look at, and it's this. Jesus goes on the cross and he says these very words, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? It was in that very moment where he felt the full wrath of death come over him and he lost connection with the Father for the first time because of sin. And the moment that happens, he does not turn to his self. He does not say, man, I'm in pain. Man, this is unfair. He says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Can I, can I share with you guys a secret of breaking out of self-pity? It's to recognize where God is in your life, in every moment, every circumstance, every difficulty. 
then you will have no room for self-pity. Now, I'm going to share a story, and we're going to close, but self-pity, guys, is not something that's unfamiliar with everybody here. I think everybody knows what self-pity feels like and looks like. But we need to recognize the danger of self-pity. I love to share this story, but the, there's this one time I was a young pastor, an uh, in, intern pastor, actually, and on a Friday night, I had to preach. And I remember I was so young and I was so ambitious. I remember I couldn't sleep. I, I, I went to church like hours before service started. And I was like praying for like literally hours and like playing the guitar and like begging the Lord. Like, please, Lord, please. You know, like I'm so young. I'm like, please, like, please just show up. You know what I mean? I'm just praying and, and I'm literally begging the Lord. Please don't show up. Please show up. Please show up. And I'm just praying. And I remember that night I preached. And, and, and I was like, dang, like, it didn't go how I wanted it to go. I remember I was like, dang, I stuttered on that word. I said this wrong. I should have said that passage. Why didn't I say that passage? I started, you know, thinking in my mind as I'm preaching. I'm like, oh, my God, like, this is the worst sermon I've ever preached. Blah, 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 blah. And then I was like, oh, shoot, this, this sucked. You know what I mean? And then afterwards, like, I, I don't know what, what came over me, but the Holy Spirit was like doing altar call. So I did an altar call. Right with the with the worst sermon I felt like I preached in my life. I was like, if you want Jesus, come to the front. And then all of a sudden, all these kids started coming to the front. And literally, like kids were just like crying and like laying on the floor and doing all these crazy stuff. And I remember I was looking at everyone like, whoa, what the heck is going on? But I was so, so, so caught up in how sucky my, I felt my sermon was. That I remember everyone's getting blessed around me and 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 I was like, wow, this is awesome. But I remember right after I went to the back of the room, I was just sitting there like, like repenting to the Lord. I'm like, sorry, Lord. That was the worst sermon ever. I'm so sorry. Like, I, I, I suck. I, I, I'm the worst. I, I can't do this. Like, I, I don't want to preach ever again and all these things. And all of a sudden, my mentor, he saw me. He was like, yo, what is going on? So he took me to like this like uh, equipment closet that we have. And he was like, hey, what's going on? And I remember I told him. And I thought I was humble. I thought I was being really humble by saying, yeah, that was the worst sermon I've ever preached. I'm so sorry. Like, I, I'll, I'll do better next time. You know, I'll, I'll make sure, you know, like, you know, I practice more. And then I remember he looked at me. And, and he said one of the harshest things I've ever heard from him. He said, are you even a Christian? <laughs> and I remember I was like, whoa. It was a bad sermon, but come on, you know what I mean? Like, like I don't know if, if it's like that. Ooh, was it that bad? Was it was that being you know was that being a heretic or something? What's going on? You know? And he just like, hey, stop making it about yourself. And he said, you figure it out, and then come back up when you're ready. And he just left me in this storage closet. And I remember they all left. They went to go eat dinner and stuff after Friday service. And I remember I was the only one in this closet by myself, sweating my head off. And I'm like, what the heck did I do wrong? And I felt the Lord speak to me. And I, I feel like I want to kind of speak over this, over your lives.
God cannot use you if you're so concentrated about you. God cannot use you if you're so concentrated about how you did. Because in that moment, I realized something. When I did the altar call, that was not me. That was the Holy Spirit. But because I was so consumed at what I did in my sermon, I couldn't see where God was going, where he was leading through that sermon. Let me tell you right now, if you want your life to look like Gospel progression. If you want to start proclaiming the gospel to your family, if you want to start proclaiming gospel to your friends, you better stop making your life about you because the moment you stop doing that, you'll be able to see where God is leading you. The moment you're willing to let go of what you desire, the moment you're willing to let go of what you want to see in your life, let me tell you, that is the moment God will start giving you dreams that are beyond yourself. That is the moment God will start giving you a vision that is beyond yourself. Stop limiting God to what he can do through you because you're so concentrated on what you can do for yourself. God can do exponentially more through you than you can do through yourself. That was evident to me on that day. I realized something. It doesn't matter how good of a sermon I preach. It doesn't matter how good of a life I live. If not for God, I will never reach the potential that he has created me to be. So let me tell you guys this right now. For those of you guys who are younger, for those of you guys who are in college, for those of you guys who are older, I will say this right now. Stop trying to run your own life because you're limiting what God can do through you. And you're only going to fall to self-pity. But if you would today surrender your life to God, if you would today surrender your works to God, if you would today surrender your efforts to God, he would take you places that you never thought you'd be able to go. It was in the moment where Jonah was on the boat and a great storm comes and, and this guy's smart, right? He's like, oh, this is God. <laughs> and he says, hey, Throw me overboard. Throw me overboard. And I, I, I realized that image is not to be looked past. He wasn't saying throw me overboard because he's like, you know, just end my life now. <laughs> he was saying throw me overboard because, man, God is so much greater than my plans. I can't run from the plans of God. He, he knows what he's doing. A lot of times what needs to happen in this season is that you need to throw yourself overboard. You need to jump out and believe that God is bigger than everything else. Let me pray for us. If you guys could join me as I pray. And then we'll close today.
But I really hope today that we could just fight against the spirit of self-pity and to rely fully on Jesus, on God in this season, to use us to whatever he desires. Not for our sake. Not for our, our, our comfort, but for the gospel. So that we may give him glory and exalt him where he deserves. I'm going to pray for us. If you guys could join me as you pray, I want to encourage you to pray right now that in this season that you will break out of the spirit of self-pity. That you will break out of the spirit of comparison. That you will seek the Lord fully by laying down your life, your whole life before God. Say, Lord, I, even if I, my life doesn't look like that person's life, even if my life is not going the way that I want to, even if right now seems like one of the toughest times of my life, God, may I see you. May my eyes be fixed on you. May I know where you are. For Lord, my satisfaction is in you. I want to attain the knowledge of knowing that you are with me through every single stage of my life. I don't need to have comfort. I don't need to have all the highs. I don't need to have everything that I desire in this world. All I desire is you. May you be my treasure. Let me tell you, in that moment is where we break out of self-pity. In that moment is where we are called to do greater things than we could ever understand. So right now, as I pray for you, if you could join me in prayer, I want to pray for you. And I want you to also pray in your own words, to lay down self-pity, to lay down your life, to ask the Lord to really reign in you, to lead you to whatever he desired. Because let me tell you, his promises, his, his plans for you are greater than you'll ever know. Jonah would have never been able to see revival in Nineveh if he didn't trust God in that place of jumping out the boat. He would not have uh, uh, been able to see Nineveh being transformed if he did not come to a place where he said, man, my life is not my own. My life is not mine. My, my decisions are not my own. Who am I to decide who gets saved, who does not? Let me tell you right now, this is the moment, church, where we need to rise up, especially in this hour when the nation is divided, when the churches are divided, when there's self-pity being thrown around every single place we look. This is the place where the church needs to be selfless. This is a place where the church needs to be completely surrendered to the will of God. So, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Father, we're asking right now that you'll break us out of this selfish, self-pity cycle that we are living in, God. Father, if there's any of us, God, who have been comparing ourselves to others, God, if there's any of us, God, who have been feeling that we're not uh, blessed, God, when we don't have enough, God, that we, we haven't attained what we desire. Father, may you open our eyes to you, Jesus, and what you've done on that cross. Father, your grace is in us. And Lord, we thank you that your mercies are new every day, God. So Lord, today we fall into that mercy and say that we need you, that we don't want to live a selfish life, God. We don't want to live a life that is fully devoted to how well we live. But Lord, may you give us a heart that lives for you, Jesus. Give us a selfless heart, God, to the point where we desire to proclaim the gospel with our whole lives, God. And Lord, I pray if there's any of us who are struggling in this season because they feel like they're not good enough. They feel like they failed. 
they feel like in comparison to others, they're not as holy. Let me, t- let me ask you, Lord, to really bless them and fill them, God, and reveal to them, God, that you are all they need. Father, in this season, we're asking for intimacy. We're asking for relationship. And we're asking, oh, Lord, that we'll be satisfied, not in our own selves, but, Lord, may we be satisfied in you. Father, we want to declare right now that we love you. Father, we want to declare that we trust you and that we need you. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.